Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. If you've been following the show for any length of time, you know that it's no secret that we we talk about the education here a little bit. We talk about the curriculum. We talk about classroom conditions, all of those things. And there's a bit of an event coming up at the end of the month, October 22nd. There is a big event going on at the Alberta Legislature. It's a rally for education. We're very excited to be joined by one of the leaders of the groups that's organizing the event, Jason Schilling, president of the Alberta Teachers Association. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that uh, you made time and space for me. Uh, absolutely. Uh, first question, am I allowed to call you uh, Shildog for the duration of this conversation? Yeah, what's funny is someone actually asked me about Shildog just the other day. And they're like, why do you, why is your Twitter handle Shildog? And I joined Twitter when it first came out. I actually used to use it as a tool in class because that sort of micro blogging and how to write in a really concise way was a real challenge for students. Shildog was a nickname my students gave me. And so I just made Shildog, not thinking that I would, you know, one day be in this role. Um, and it stuck. And I actually uh, am connected with this student through Instagram. I mean, she's, I think, 35, 36 now. And, uh, it should be mad. I just said her name out loud or her age out loud. But she said to me one day, she's like, I love the fact that your Twitter handle is still the nickname that we gave you in grade 11, 14 years ago. And so it's just to me, you know, I'm a teacher. I, I love working with kids. I love I love my students. And uh, this was the nickname that they called me. It was all around that time of American Idol and Randy Dak Jackson called everybody dog, if you remember that. And so we called everybody dog all through the course of, and Shield Dog just stuck and just generations of kids through the school that I worked at. I was there for 17 years. It's just, oh, yeah, we call him Shield Dog. And yeah, that's sort of the genesis of it. And people think I'm trying to be a smart aleck, but I got it from my students and it just stuck, right? So I'm but glad you can I call have... me Shield Dog. You can call me Mr. Shield Dog. You can call me President Shield Dog or Jason is fine too. I think President Shildog has a certain certain quality to it. But before we get into the, the rally and the, the impetus for it and all the reasons that it's important, you mentioned that you're, you're a teacher. Uh, you mentioned that you, you've taught before. So before we get into all of that, can we just, can we just talk for a sec? Who is, who is Shildog? Well, <laughs> there we go. I, yeah, I've been teaching for... Um, well, my whole life, right? It's essentially, I went to University of Lethbridge down there to their, their program, the education program. My parents were living in Alberta, born and raised in Alberta, right? And so they had moved. Um, dad sort of retired. They moved out of province and I just stayed in Lethbridge and I started teaching for Palliser Regional Schools. I taught in Vulcan. Um, for a couple of years. And then I transferred to Kate Andrews High School, which is just outside of Lethbridge in Coaldale. And I taught there for 17 years before I uh, I moved to Edmonton to do this work as president. And I taught English, drama, I taught science for a while. Um, I, the hardest thing I ever taught, Phys Ed 10. And um, I also taught psychology and that as well. But and balancing out those teacher duties with uh, the work and the roles that I've been I've held in the association as well. Okay, was was Phys Ed ten the hardest because of the the economical component? 
Um, part of it's because it's it's not wasn't my major, right? And so to teach something, but my my principal was really funny. He's like, "Well, you run, you work out, it should be easy." And like, and the curriculum is, yeah, I just like I yeah, I run and I work out, but I don't know the rules to lacrosse. So I you know spent a lot of time, a lot of prep time, a lot of time on the weekends and the evenings. I brought in a lot of guest speakers, um, but the kids were always like, "This isn't the Olympics," because I really wanted to sort of promote that idea of um, physical health beyond high school that we will you know to be healthy throughout uh, your entire life and that you can you know build these base skills for them but uh, yeah when it was and it was a large class like i had 38 kids um and it was just yeah a lot of skill you know some kids when we did baseball it was interesting some had never worn a baseball glove before and some had been playing baseball since they were little so that trying to bridge that skill level with those kids was really challenging sometimes and and uh, but yeah, I mean, it was difficult because it, it was just, yeah, it's not drama where I could just come in and be like, okay, here we go, right? Or an English plan, let's read Macbeth, right? But uh, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed the challenge. I liked it, but uh, it was definitely difficult. <laughs> uh, and that was that was before the, the, the budgeting component was included in phys ed, I imagine. Yeah, but I mean, and I also had I had a lot of support from the phys ed department, um, and I was able to order things that I wanted to get in as a school. We sort of had site based management in my district, so we were able to do that. But uh, this new budget, the new funding formula, you know, I don't know what it would allow for the flexibility and the things that I benefit from that a while ago. So I'm I'm, I'm just trying to make a curriculum joke is all that I'm after here. But oh uh, well, you know, because <laughs> I had. My my youngest went, or sorry, my eldest is now in the 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 range of the new curriculum for the phys ed, and oh, okay. uh, yeah. we got to do the orientation. And the teacher was incredibly professional and gracious. And I just about fell out of my chair laughing so hard because of how perfectly she balanced it when she was talking about the fact that the the budgeting and the financial knowledge is now included in. in the oh, I get your joke now. There you go. Sorry. It took me a moment to pick that up. They're always yeah, it's, when you explain we, That's one of the, yeah, no, it's one of the things even through our analysis of the curriculum when it first came out was that marriage of phys ed and wellness and financial literacy. Like a lot of people were, were shaking their heads about why do those things connect together? And I know a lot of the critique I got from, you know, that was shared with me from my colleagues around the, the physical fitness and the wellness, you know, age appropriateness, grade appropriateness was that a lot of the phys ed was um, like desk oriented kind of work. The kids need to get up and move. That should be the whole point of it. And so I know that teachers are, are struggling to find that balance and to, to make sure that they're doing the right thing by their students. Okay. Well, now that that joke's out of the way. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll drink some more coffee and I'll try to pick up That's what cool. you're laying down. So. Um, so there's a lot to talk about today. I mean, one of the things that I think is that I, I'd like to kind of start with is over the last couple of years, we have heard here, and I'm, I can only imagine what you've heard on your end, uh, repeatedly that the, the working conditions for teachers are I'm going to go with challenging and I'm probably mm -hmm. get some comments on that because I know that I'm understating it grossly by saying that. What are some of the things that you're hearing about that the teachers are concerned about? And I'm going to use this as an inroad into to talking about why the rally is a thing, hopefully. No, that's, that's a great um, question, Nate. And yeah, challenging is probably an underestimation of a word and uh, it's been, 
um, difficult. And uh, there's a lot of concerns that are coming out of uh, um, just even, you know, the last couple of years that through the pandemic, but a lot of those challenges and those concerns existed before the pandemic had had become about, and were probably amplified, if not um, to a certain degree, through the pandemic. And so things that, uh, you know, I hear from teachers right now, sort of in this sort of pocket of time of where we are now, class size is definitely a, a factor, especially in certain jurisdictions across our province. Um, we've got classes that are in the 30s, they're in the 40s in some uh, some areas as well. Government no longer collects class size data, they stopped doing that in 2019. So we've been sort of through our surveying with our membership, asked them about their class sizes and try to get a representative idea of what's going on in the province. Um, but beyond class size, what we're seeing a lot is, you know, we call it comp composition, you know, class composition, or the complexities of our students' needs is another way to phrase that. So students are coming to school with, um, you know, social economic needs. They're coming to schools with, uh, um, you know, needs through their learning or through, they might have linguistic needs. They might have, uh, you know, speech therapy. They might need occupational therapy, that sort of, that sort of comprehensive school approach to that. So student teachers are seeing a huge impact in their classrooms with the needs of their students. Um, that was amplified by the pandemic. So you think of the anxiety of the pandemic on students and the people working in the buildings with those students, but also um, we've had a really couple chaotic years of school where you're online, you're in person, you just said you, you know, you've got kids who are in school and, you know, well, it must have been challenging for you as a parent to, you know, they're at school, they're, now they're at home for a couple of weeks because uh, things are shut down. We're going back to school, we're doing that sort of back and forth and uh, the anxiety of COVID sort of layered on top of all of that. Um, has created even more needs within our schools. And we're not seeing the support that's needed for them um, to address, you know, the mental health needs that they may have, uh, the learning needs. Uh, we've seen class sizes grow and uh, students' needs are also teachers' needs. So teachers, you know, as a teacher working in, in my classroom, I need certain things to, to meet my students' needs as well. And so there's, I'm hearing a lot about that. And then let's add in the curriculum to this conversation as well, because now you have teachers who are working with K to three curriculum, K to six and phys ed and, uh, you know, financial literacy. Some are also piloting the new four to six for math and English language arts and science and the Francophone and French as a second language arts curriculum. There's a pilot out there with those as well. There's not enough runway with this, you know, the final draft of this was released at the end of May. Um, teachers did not have the time, nor did boards for that matter, to get resources in place, to have time to do the professional development that they needed to look at the curriculum, to assess how am I going to teach this with my students who are coming in with these complexity of needs? What resources are available to them? Do they work for me? Do they work for my students? Are they contextually appropriate? Are they grade appropriate? Are they age appropriate? You know, are they Eurocentric? Um, text like we want to bring in, you know, part of the the TQS, the teaching quality standard, is to bring in indigenous cultures and ways of knowing into our curriculum. And teachers need time to do that in a way that is meaningful. And uh, that time wasn't there, so teachers sort of start at the fall, and now you add in assessments to this as well. And so there's a mandatory level of assessments that are taking up a lot of time and from the government and then school boards are adding their own assessments on top of that. So now we're, I think, over testing or over assessing our students when teachers really just want to teach with their kids in their classrooms and, and do that work. 
So what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that the rumors about how easy teachers have it are entirely true. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's funny because I, I often get messages like, well, then shut up if it's too hard to do it. But teachers teach because they care about kids. They care about what they learn. They care about their growth. They care about everything about their lives. And when you hear teachers saying, I need things to meet my students' needs, we should be listening to what they're saying and taking that seriously. We've not seen government do that um, through the course of the pandemic and, uh, um, and then not provide a funding formula that actually funds kids properly through school. Like they're on this three-year weighted average rolling thing that really will fund a student over the course of a couple of years. Well, kids need to be funded the moment they walk into that building. Day one, they step into that school. They need the funding right there at that moment that follows them throughout the school. And But the government has done this weighted average rolling thing that has, you know, larger boards who have uh, high enrollment um, seem to get penalized from it. And smaller boards have a declining enrollment. It sort of saves off a little bit of, you know, the problems, but it just pushes it. All it does is kick it down the road. Let's get into, I mean, you, you brought up the, the curriculum there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's solved, right? Like we don't have to worry about that anymore or... No. No, that's no, we have to worry about it. Okay, right? we so don't we have to worry about that. <laughs> we're, we, we'll always worry about crew. And part of it goes back to, um, I mean, the whole notion of replacing the entire curriculum for K to six in every grade at every level is a huge, complex task. Traditionally, curriculum was done one grade at a time over the course of three years. Right? It was written, it was viewed by professionals and teachers, um, it was p- properly uh, field tested to make sure it worked, it was resourced, you looked at the assessment, and then it was implemented, and then looked at again to make sure that um, what was working was working. And teachers will tell you what will work and what won't work. So to run this through, like has been in the last couple of years, uh, has been um, a way that you know teachers, when I talk to them, do not want to fail a generation of kids. Right? They want to get this right. And it's been pushed through. And, you know, you've got the K to three, but we're also talking four to sixes in development. And then there's plans for seven to nine and then 10 to 12. Like this is going to be curriculum, an ongoing conversation that we're going to have for many, many years. And we need to make sure that I always look at it in two parts process and content. We have to get the process of it right before the content of it is right. And the process is where we really need to get back into uh, making sure that teachers are at the table, that the association's at the table, the way that it used to be done in terms of, and I don't like the, we got to do it the way it always used to be done, but sometimes it works, (laughs) right? And you don't get a world-class education system like Alberta is, without having really good people working on curriculum. And now we've got this curriculum that a lot of people are concerned is going to set us back. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I definitely caught the little pause before you said Alberta is, and I can't help but wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that multiple jurisdictions who have previously used Alberta's curriculum because it was world standard have gone, Oh, we're going to go over here now. Well, yeah. And well, part of it too, is that I still believe it is. And I believe it is for the fact that I believe in my colleagues who are working in schools. 
right? Those teachers working in those buildings with those kids and the other people who are working in the building, because I, Lord knows, from working in a school my entire life, it's not just me. It's the EAs who work with me. It's the librarian. It's just the office staff. It's my administrators are all working together on this, right? Um, they're going to make the experience for kids the best that they can be. And so, yeah, they're, you, you know, other jurisdictions have left and they're going to, when, you know, the, the PISA results or other standardized test results come out, say, oh, these numbers are really low. Look how this is failing. Um, but uh, you can't look at an assessment that's, you know, done at one moment in time and say, this is the whole system, the entire system as a whole. Because uh, assessment, when you, you work with kids, is really broadband. You do a lot. I do a lot of things in my English class um, that are not the diploma exam at the end of the year that I use to assess my students and what they know and what they can demonstrate and how they demonstrate that. So you don't have the diploma exam where you get to do a speech, right? You don't get to do visuals for the diploma exam, but that's part of the curriculum that they're not tested on. But then we judge them based on this one moment in time. And a lot of kids like me were not test takers in school. Well, I mean, standardized tests have such a good reputation and so much evidence backing them. I don't think that there's any any concern. Heavy on the sarcasm there for anybody who's just listening to the the, the podcast version. Um, okay, so yeah, I, your optimism is inspiring, um, but there's some new challenges that are also sort of raising their head. Uh, I don't know if you've heard we have a we have a new premier, uh, mm-hmm. and and she's got some ideas on education i'm curious does the ata have a a a stance or do you speaking only for yourself have a stance on the idea that miss smith has pitched about the the micro schools where one teacher can set up a school in their house and teach all of the curriculum and teach all of the courses to five or six kids who are funded via vouchers yeah um so the association by nature you know we're set up through legislation and we're policy driven so we have all sorts of policy about all sorts of things that's created by teachers at our annual general meeting and we do have policy that is against a voucher system um we do have policy that would be against sort of overly privatizing public education because it's going to create a system of inequality it's going to create a system of have and have not um and uh, we would uh, you know that notion of of a micro school i can't conceptually actually figure out how that works um but uh we would be opposed to something like that we would be opposed to things that undermine the needs of our students and a public education system and uh, um i know we have a new premier has only been in office for a couple of days and uh, there's always going to be an element to me that's optimistic right but there's also a huge element to me that is cynical right and so i you know i know sometimes wear my cynicism on my sleeve um too often and sometimes i wear my optimism on my sleeve too often but i have to be optimistic that we can try to make a change to make things better for kids and teachers in schools so that we can make things better in our province right and so it's a little bit i find like i feel like we're kind of in this sort of void right now. Uh, we have a new premier, but we don't know who the new cabinet is. We don't know exactly, you know, I always find through campaigns that, um, and your viewers might, or you might have, you know, this sort of same impression, we'll float all of these ideas out. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And then I'm just like, well, okay, well, which one are you actually going to um, 
go with? Like which one, which train are you going to get on before we watch this train wreck? But which train is, is going to leave the station? Is it micro schools? Is it vouchers? Is it, um, we're going to go back and look at the curriculum um, because when they were at uh, our summer conference in Banff, you know, they all talked about this idea that we need to um, look at curriculum again, that uh, maybe the process wasn't uh, done as well. And I'd be like, yep. And uh, so, um, I mean, part of it is we need to see a little bit of what's going on. And then our, you know, what I also heard in Banff was all of the candidates, including the new premier, talk about the idea that we need to engage again with the association in conversation. We need to engage again with teachers in conversation. And as I said to them in Banff, and I will carry this through, I will hold them to that. You said in BAMP that you wouldn't do this. You would do this and you would do that. Now we've got a tape. Let's watch and see what you're going to do and uh, hopefully try to work together to make, make things better. Um, that whole conversation we had about the concerns that teachers are having in classrooms, that needs to be addressed. We need serious answers to these serious things that we're seeing in schools and address them to make lives better for our students and the teachers and the others who are working in the buildings with those kids. Before, one more thing before we get into the, the rally. Uh, you, you guys just scored yourself a contract. So I know that there was a lot of controversy around that contract, and there certainly was some uh, tension over what was allowed to be negotiated in the contract, what the government refused to negotiate in the contract, coughs, class sizes, cough. Um, how, is that, how is that sitting? How is that going? Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. It was it was a controversial thing for our members, and we know that uh, the vote was closed at the end, and uh, that's there's still issues in there, some that can be a, you know addressed in the next round of negotiations. But there's some of those things too, like class size, for instance, could also be government willing to do something about it on a policy level. Right. Um, they could be willing to do something about it in, you know, setting up a, a budget thing that addresses class size that says, OK, we're going to put caps here on these things. Um, it could be in a collective agreement, but it could also be in other areas as well. And uh, so that's a little bit of what this rally is. And then our broader campaign towards the election in 2023 is talking about class size and the, the needs of our students and, and classes and the people who want to be the MLAs who are going to make the decisions about you know, the public service, including healthcare and other aspects as well, that they actually have a definitive idea and a plan that is informed and will work, right? We can't have uh, people who will be like, oh, well, we're just going to do this Band-Aid approach to something. Well, our systems, because I know you work in healthcare and work in, in education, those systems don't need Band-Aid fixes anymore. They need things that are going to actually address the concerns that people are expressing and and fix that. And uh, I think, you know, that was part of the frustration that came out of um, the negotiations that, uh, that once again, that was not there. And I used to chair the bargaining committee before um, and before that. And part of that is the legislation in itself is um, a little bit, you know, we, I wouldn't mind looking at that legislation and seeing how um, improvements can be made to that so that the bargaining process is a lot smoother. Yeah. 
I mean, I'll, I'll take the healthcare metaphor just a, a, a little step farther. I don't know if you saw the the Twitter thread that we put up a, probably about a year and a half ago now, a year ago, where uh, teachers were anonymously sharing their experiences and their frustrations. And I, I it is beyond my comprehension how anyone can, in government can look at the situation uh, and read even a fraction of those stories and respond with, Here's a Band-Aid when very clearly what's needed, almost literally in some cases, is resuscitative measures. Um, it's, so let's talk about the rally. What's the story with the rally? What's going on? Are there going to be balloons? <laughs> there might be balloons. I'm not going to bring one, but there could be. I don't know. Um, yeah, so the rally is on October 22nd, and uh, it's part of sort of a, a you know, part, well, let's talk about the rally, then I'll talk about the broader campaign in and of itself. So um, October 22nd at the legislature grounds, uh, the association is organizing a rally with uh, assistance of, um, you know, the district representatives, my colleagues on council, our staff, local presidents from across the province to bring teachers. Um, it's in partnership with the Alberta School Councils Association. So parents are involved with that as well. And uh, we're coming to the ledge at uh, one o'clock on the 22nd to show our support for public education education in this province and to say, you know, we value public education. There are things that we want to see in, uh, in public for our students and for our teachers in public education. So we're coming together to have this rally um, to sort of send a signal, share our voice to those who are going to be sitting in that legislature building in a couple of weeks after that, making decisions about it. Um, it's important that, uh, um, for the association and for the people that I work with here in the building and the locals and teachers across the province, that education be a top priority in the next provincial election. And that is sort of the, this rally is really kind of a kickoff to this broader campaign that will go down um, through the course of this next year to our election in 2023, if that's in fact when it does happen um, in May. Like you never know right? when it, the writ could be dropped. We have a set date, but it could be dropped at any, from what I understand, any point, right? But that's our plan. Education needs to be a top priority. And I'll even take that further than saying that it shouldn't always be, you know, a top priority every time we have an election year. It needs to be a priority every single year that we have, that education needs to be a top priority in this province, that it needs to be viewed as an investment, not always an expense. And I always hear the, well, this cost, the cost, the cost, the cost. We're investing in our kids. We're investing in their teachers and their schools and by way of their schools, their communities as well. It's an investment in all of us to have a strong public education system. So the rally is sort of a kickoff with that. I'm hoping you're going to be there and, uh, um, you know, we'll see what, you know, hopefully the weather holds up. We've been very lucky with this weather in the last little bit, but that's really the, the genesis of the rally is to come together solidified as a profession, as parents, as people who care about public education, stand together, um, share our voices, share our concerns, move forward into the fall and then into the spring when we get to election and make sure that when we're having conversations with those people who are going to be candidates for uh, the provincial election, that we're able to say to them, how is education a top priority for you? What do you believe about class size? What do you think about the curriculum? What do you think about these things? And to engage people across the province into having those conversations, because if we have uh, candidates who become elected into the legislature and they don't, they're like, curriculum, was there a problem with that? You know, that's a problem to me. It always has to be a top priority. So, And I know the... 
you've you've got yourself one heck of an MC for this event. Uh, you've got you've got Dr. Carla Peck who's going to be be running the show, and she's she's a, a super fantastic, awesome lady, a woman who I think is going to put on a heck of a show for you. But who else? What else can people expect from the rally? Are there going to be other speakers? Uh, are there going to be? Is, is Carla Peck just going to be doing her her bit for a couple hours, or what's what's what can people expect? What's the plan? Well, I'll be there and uh, we'll be speaking. And like I said, it's partnership with the Alberta School Councils Association. So their president, Brandy Rye, will also be speaking at the rally and sort of bringing that per- that parent perspective to that as well. Uh, Dr. Peck is our MC, and yeah, she's a real she's a real dynamic um, individual. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Carla and the work that she does. I've I've done some things with the University of Alberta where I moderated some panels that they did on the curriculum earlier in the year, and then I I spoke at some other like the the draft rally that we had um, earlier in the spring. So uh, Carla will be uh, will be a great MC. We have the president of the Canadian Teachers Federation, Sam Hammond, is coming to uh, show us support for uh, teachers and education. In Alberta. Um, I know that Cadence Weapon is coming uh, to uh, recite. A couple of years ago, we installed a statue at the legislature that commemorated the 100th anniversary of the Alberta Teachers Association and the contribution of teachers to Alberta society. So there's a statue there just off by um, the federal building there. Um, Cadence wrote a poem for it. And so he is actually going to come in and perform that poem for us. Uh, we have some other individuals who are speaking as well. We are still in the finalization of that, the final program. So I don't want to say so-and-so is coming and then find out they're not and be like, oh, sorry. Um, hopefully I'm still, I'm a solid yes for the, the rally. I will be there for sure. And uh, whether that's a selling picture for some, I don't know. But um, yeah, so we're, we're looking to have really dynamic speakers, inspiring speeches. Uh, there will be uh, sort of like a, a pre-show leading up to it with some music, some chants, some bands. Um, we're looking to really infuse Indigenous culture and uh, celebrate, um, you know, Indigenous culture and ways of knowing into the curriculum as well. Um, so there, yeah, or sorry, the rally. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so it, it'll be a great day. And I hope that uh, people come to show their support for public education. We've been putting out information as well about uh, arrangements for uh, parking rides around the city so that people don't have to worry about driving downtown. They can take uh, transit downtown and, and all of that. And it's all on our website. That is uh, www.stanforeducation.ca. Perfect. And I, I, I'm going to ask the question just because I know what some of the comments on this are already going to be, which political party, if any, is sponsoring this event? Yeah, we're nonpartisan by policy at the association. We do not donate money to political parties. We do not endorse candidates. And just by coincidence or by design, October 22nd is when the NDP will be um, in Calgary at their convention and the UCP will be in Edmonton at their convention. So this is an opportunity for us on the 22nd to raise our voices about our concerns for public education to the people who are at their AGMs making policy about what their platforms will be in 2023. And if they're like, oh, well, yeah, we think education should be a big priority, then make it a priority in your platform that weekend because you got the power to do that, right? Yeah, we did. There, there's, yeah, there won't be a political party at the rally um, giving a speech. So this is for us. This is Perfect. for teachers. This is for the ATA. This is a teacher's rally with parents, with their students and people who care about public education. 
I thank you for that very generous answer because one of the things that I've already seen in conversation around this is oh this is a so and so party event and I think it's really important to highlight that it is it is it isn't it's and and that your organization is nonpartisan and advocating for uh, public education, access to public education, and the best. And I'll tell you, as president, um, I know that my members, my members, like I don't own them, sorry, the members who belong to the association, I know that members of the ATA span the entire political spectrum as well. Right, that's why we're nonpartisan, and we've always said to our members that join the political party that you want. Uh, be involved, get engaged, be involved, get engaged with their education platform, assist them in helping writing good policy, um, but make it about education, make it about students, make it about teachers, make it about your schools and your communities. Um, and that's sort of where we will encourage our members to be involved. Um, our plan with this platform and moving forward to 2023 is around education policy. It's around funding. It's around budget that's going to come in the spring. It's around curriculum, class size, composition, those things. Uh, we've been around for a hundred and some years and have worked with every political party that's been involved um, to a certain levels of degree. It's been extremely challenging these last years and the association and teachers have not been involved in the curriculum, have not been involved in other aspects. And that's why you see so much problems. So many problems. Oh, sorry, not a good English teacher moment. Um, that's why you see so many problems with it, right? Because teachers are not at the table. And we worked as an association with governments in the past, and we will continue to work with uh, governments moving forward into the future, regardless of what their initials are. I got one other question for you before I let you go, because I know you're a busy man, and I really do appreciate the time that you've been uh, willing to, to share today. Um, if not that she watches the show, I'm quite sure she doesn't. But if there was one thing that you would want the new premier to to hear, if there's one message that you would want uh, people listening to this or watching this to pass on to the the premier, if they're not, I don't know, blocked on Twitter or something, what would that uh, what would that message be? Oh, we've got another hour and a half, right? Got as much time as you want, man. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a great question, Nate. And I'm going to go back to a little bit of, you know, I do have a level of optimism and hope that we can, you know, work is hard. It's challenging. It's challenging for everybody, but we have to be able to move things forward in a positive way that is benefits our kids and the people in those buildings and our schools and our communities. I've, I've taught in small schools my entire life, but I know how important school community schools are to larger urban centers as well. So to, you know, the new premier, I'd have to say, listen, we need to sit down and have serious conversations about how we make improvements to public education, that we don't further undermine the public system where the majority of our kids go to benefit a private system. We need public education. Kids need that in their lives. Parents need that in their lives. Um, it's interesting, you know, we had uh, Nahed Nenshi at um, summer conference and he spoke to our delegates there about how, you know, the public system invested in him as a student when he was a, a kid, public schools, public libraries, you know, um, the YMCA, public transport. The public system invests, invests in our kids and they're important. They're a future. 
right? You and I are dependent on the future generations of this province. And uh, we need to make sure that the needs that they have are being met right now. So I would say to, you know, next week we'll be telling, we'll have a new cabinet as well. So I could echo this conversation to if we have the same minister or if we have a new minister in, ed in education, we need to sit down and have serious conversations to move things forward because people have serious concerns. There are serious needs by teachers out there. Um, they are, are, are struggling in a lot of aspects um, to meet their students' needs. And parents are also just as frustrated by this process as well. And there's been a lot of ignoring people and their needs and their conversations. And that, um, that has to stop. Okay. Anything else you want people to hear? Anything else you want, uh, any ideas you want to float, there, float out there? I, I, I'm still hoping that there's, there's going to be balloons at the rally. I would love to see a, a balloon animal. Well, we talked but. about, um, you know, the whole point of the rally too is to be family friendly, right? So trying to get as many food trucks as we can, you know, it's October, it's hard. Some of them have shuttered already, right? But uh, we want it to be, you know, as family friendly as, as possible that uh, we all come out and, and show our support for, public education, you know, I, uh, I, I think about this often um, in this role is one of those things that I do. And uh, I mean, I'm fortunate in my life and I'm, I'm, I always think of myself very lucky to be a teacher, to get to work with kids and to see those moments where they're like, oh, that's how you do that. And having taught drama for so long and directing school plays to see those kids come out of their shell and be part of that drama production. And they're like, I can't believe I did that. And I'm like, I can right? I can believe you did that because you believe in people, right? Um, I think often when I left, sorry, this is a much longer question than you wanted, but you gave me the free reign here. Um, when I left Kate Andrews and I'd worked there for 17 years, I had a student who was, um, and people for me tell this story before, I had a student who was, um, you know, upset. She was crying a little bit. I'm like, why? Why are you crying? And she's like, because you, I just kind of realized that you're not going to be back here in the fall. I'm like, well, yeah, I told you that. And uh, I'm like, are these tears of joy? <laughs> Yay, he's not going to be back. And she's like, no, your classroom's my safe space. And I, that hit me right in the feels right in that moment, right? And I always like to pretend I don't have the feels with my students. Like, I'm like, rah, 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 right? But that really resonated with me. And I, I think about that all the time in the work that I'm doing that, you know, schools for a lot of kids, it's their safe space. They need this they need to be supported in it and that's one of the things that drives me in this work and uh, um, no matter what we see coming down the pike in the next couple of weeks or months next year we'll still be here we'll still be fighting for things we'll still be advocating for things and we're going to try to make as big of a difference as we can in the election in 2023 and that starts with the rally so i hope that uh, you were there and the people who are listening to this uh podcaster there and they make arrangements to to get themselves downtown edmonton because it'll be it'll be a great day awesome thank you so much for taking the time to have this chat president chill dog and uh, i uh, will also say i appreciate the fact that you're wearing i heart public education t-shirt so absolutely i am uh i mean to me this is such a no-brainer and it 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 blows my mind that this continues to be a conversation because i'm going to paraphrase one of my favorite shows um schools should be cathedrals uh, education has the potential to be the the silver bullet that addresses so many of the problems that we otherwise throw heaps of money at and make very little impact. Uh, this education and public education has the potential to be one of the great equalizers in society, and it is absolutely stunning to me uh, that 
that continues to need to be explained. Um, so, yeah, I'm wearing the shirt. <laughs> well, I thank you for it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. You bet. Thank you. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we would love it if you swung by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab and signed up for a small monthly sponsorship of the work that we're trying to do here. It is because of the support that we receive from our Patreon sponsors that we're able to continually up our game, and it is tremendously appreciated. So I want to throw a big thank you out to them, and you can go ahead and visit that website and join and support us as well because we need all the help we can get. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of these important conversations. And we will see you next time on The Breakdown.